Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold order to progressive standards it never agreed to. Our selection tonight is an innovative 2022 horror drama fusion that is light on the palate with faint notes of class warfare and fine dining satire. It's The Menu. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary, my co-host, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? My review? A movie that'll make you go, I'll have what she's having. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a Harry Meets Sally reference for all you kids who did not see Billy Crystal Boomer rom-coms. And kids, go, go watch When Harry Met Sally. It's good, actually. Yeah. Um, and our guest tonight, 20-year restaurant veteran, certified sommelier, and wine podcaster, Andy Reid. Andy, great to have you. Hello, I'm so happy to be here. This is an exciting one to talk to you about because it, I, I have no experience in the fine dining world, but uh, I, I recognize artsy bullshit when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> and I am very excited for this because Andy and I have known each other since we were about 18. Is that about right? Less, boo. Less. I think, oof. I, I, well, okay, maybe 17? Yeah, I think about 17. And we are now not 17. Shut up. Shut up, Ben. We're 17 forever. Except yes. I can drink now, which makes it permissible. As opposed to when you were drinking when you were 17? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> well, yeah, this one is um, this one is a fun one. It's directed by Mark Mylod. It is written by Seth Reese and Will Tracy. It stars Rafe Fiennes, Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt, Hong Chow, John Leguizamo, and a whole variety of other like great actors. It's it's really like a murderer's row. Uh, Judith Light is here. Judith Light's always great. Oh yeah, we got modern horror icon Anya Taylor Joy, budding horror icon, and really Hollywood's next great weirdo little guy, Nicholas Holt. Yeah, all a, right. A good, a good assortment of people. Ben, you uh, got the recap on this one, so uh, tell oh us hell about the menu. yeah, I do. Oh my god. Fucking let me tell you about the menu. Our cinematic adventure through the culinary world opens on weirdo foodie Tyler and his date with biggest fucking air quotes you can imagine, Margot, traveling by boat to the Hawthorne, the fanciest fucking Michelin star snooty tootie restaurant you can imagine. It's a secluded island because ha ha, fuck you poor people. You don't even get to see this restaurant. Also on the boat are a collection of soon-to-be-killed unlikable people, including a judgy food critic and her simpering editor, a trio of business pros, and John Leguizamo as himself, question mark? The group's there to eat the cooking of Julian Slowick, who, as Tyler is quick to remind us, is apparently just the bee's knees. When the maitre d' Elsa greets them, she's suspiciously upset that Margot is not the guest Tyler said would be coming. They all get to tour of the island and we get fancy food meaning talk and foreshadowing for important locations later in the movie. It's a twofer. After that, hold on to your butts for the most stressful meal you've ever had that didn't involve your racist uncle. Slowly comes out and before each course delivers just the most fucking unnerving of monologues. Real I'm about to kill all you vibes. 
Then on the third course, they all get the tortillas of shame, showing their secrets and indiscretions. Also, Hong Chow's is the phrase tortillas deliciosa. It's real fun. For the fourth course, suicide. This one chef is just so sad and wants to be a better chef, but also doesn't. And then he just puts a gun in his mouth and everyone's freaking out except Tyler because Tyler's a weird little fucking food freak who's way too chill. The super rich regular guest tries to leave, but Slowick is like, nah, and they cut off his finger. The business bros are like, you can't do this. We work for your owner. And Slowick says, you mean this owner? And then he just straight up drowns a motherfucker while they all watch. He drowns his angel investor by putting him in wings and lowering him into the water. He's got a sense of humor, Slowick. This movie fucking rules. I love the menu, if you couldn't tell. Course 5, Slowick fends off a Me Too scandal by letting the chef he arrests stab him. Cancel culture. Am I right? I'm not. Anyway, (laughs) the men are given his chance to escape the island. They all fail. The women eat alone and with the chef, Catherine, and they try to convince her to, you know, not murder them and herself. But twist, she's girl-bossing murder-suicide. So the food critics just drinks all the wine. It's not plot relevant that she chugs the wine, but it is relatable. Uh, (laughs) Once all the men are brought back to the restaurant, Slowick says they're each there because they helped him lose his passion for cooking or starred in the Super Mario Brothers movie. Margo's not supposed to be there, though, so Slowick privately confronts her and gives her the choice of dying with them or dying with the guests. Margo, understandably, is like, that's a bad choice, and Slowick is like, fuck you, I'm Ralph Fiennes. Then we get Margo's backstory and how she's an escort, and Slowick reveals that Tyler knew months in advance that he and anyone he brought with him would be killed, because Tyler is a fucking little fucked up little weirdo fuckaroo. Margo wants to kill him right there, but Slowick's like, nah, that's too good. Slowick makes Tyler feel like a big special boy by giving him his own chef jacket, but then forces him to suddenly cook in front of everyone, and he does such a bad job that Slowick tells him to kill himself, and he does. This movie, y'all, fucking wild. Slowick has Margo get a barrel of dessert from the smokehouse, and Elsa gets a uh, real hey jealousy and thinks that she's being replaced by Margot. So she tries to kill her, and it does not go well for Elsa. Margot then finds Slowick's bedroom and how he used to be a happy young burger cook. She radios for help, but lol, Coast Guard Man is also working for Slowick. As the chef gets ready for death by s'mores, Margot says the food was bullshit and she's still hungry. She wants a cheeseburger, and after the scene of slowly cooking one, you will too. In return for giving him back his love of cooking, Slowlick lets Margo, and only Margo, live. The rest, s'mores death. And I don't care what fucking Slowlick says, s'mores are goddamn delicious. Fucking love s'mores. <laughs> anyway, Margo eats, everyone else is dead, and I absolutely fucking adore this movie. And recap. Yeah. Yeah. This was my first time seeing it. I loved this movie a lot i think some standouts to me were the fact that he uh specifically murders john leguizamo's character who is billed as movie star um in the film because he spent his one day off which is a sunday his one day off in a month uh going to see one of his films and it was bad so he deserves to die and his um assistant slash girlfriend slash something else is like well surely like you're not gonna kill me and he's like, where did you go to school? He says, Brown. And he says, 
you have any student loans? And she says, no. He's like, yeah, you're going to die. That was incredible. Like, this movie is funny. Like, this movie is clued into exactly what its sense of humor is. And that's one of the absolute standouts is the student loans. No, you're going to die. Oh, man. And that was especially because they'd really set up John Leguizamo to die for food related sins, like just a lack of respect, wanting to just do like a cheap bullshit food travel show, just like devaluing the real craft of it. And it's so funny that it's just because he watched a shitty movie of his on his one day off. (laughs) I mean, having been in that situation before, you know, if you're working a job that has you working 14 hour days, six days a week, and you do only get like that one day off, when you watch a bullshit movie, you do feel cheated. I have felt that rage before. (laughs) It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sex in the City is dead to me now. So, yeah, I feel like if you willingly put on Sex in the City too, you have it coming. What happened next? I mean, yeah, I probably did, but I was sad. Okay, yeah. Watch your fucking <laughs> back, Carrie Bradshaw. Andy's coming for you. <laughs> also, it seems like to some extent an element in that discussion with John Leguizamo's character about like artistry. Like they're both artists in their own craft who you know loved what they were doing, and at some point have just started like doing bullshit like they're they're not really doing what they love and he's in the same boat he he says at one point when the business bros are asking him uh what he's working on now he's like oh i'm sort of in the presenter phase of my career which is the funniest shit i've ever heard anybody say that's like real like uh you know i'm like dancing with the stars era i'm trying to find my inner sea crest i have to talk about what to me more than anything else that happened in this movie broke my suspension of disbelief and momentarily took me out of the movie. And that's Ralph Fine supposed to be from the American Midwest. Fucking Nebraskan Ralph Fine's fucking broke me. I mean, you figure he's a chef for a ridiculous Michelin star restaurant. He probably speaks with a fake British accent. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely people in the industry who, I mean... So we spend so much of our time serving these people that are from these upper classes and we're just so desperate to kind of make our own mark that there are a lot of people that I've worked with that put on affectations and wholly different personalities when they're at work. And then you see them like three hours off the clock in a dive bar and they're just, their actions completely different. Their demeanor's completely different. So I can kind of, like a Nebraska boy faking a British accent would I believe it was Ralph Fiennes no but that's just yeah (laughs) it just fucking Shakespearean actor trained Ralph Fiennes not even attempting to do an American accent it would be like Ian McKellen saying yes I came from Wisconsin yeah like (laughs) it took me back a little (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's a oh. lot of calling out of very specific locations in this movie and I, I was never sure exactly what was up with that but like they're very specific about what towns in different states people are from there's a lot of like the, just names, they're also very spe- not big yeah things. names yeah they're like oh no they're very specific about what name someone should have like you're not a margo i've met margos you're no margo <laughs> which ends up being completely accurate 
Also, yeah. yes, I also believe that Anya Taylor Joy is from Boston. This is also believable. <laughs> I refuse to believe Anya Taylor Joy has ever lived in a place that didn't have its own built-in horse stable. So who is um for you guys? Who is the worst character in this ensemble? Tyler. Oh, I mean, just pure oh. moral reprehensibility. Yeah, because like, no. it's Tyler ability. But Tyler is also the most fun character. Like, Tyler was the most entertaining fucking weirdo. Like, Nicholas Howell did such a good job with this character. Yeah, no, I I don't know. Like, yes, Tyler is insufferable. But I think the worst character might be of the bros, of the business bros. Mm. The, the not the older Asian guy. The white business bro? No, no, the black one. Oh, my God. He's just the worst. Like, and I've met people like that, and they're just, you can't say anything to them because it, it's like talking to a pile of silly putty. <laughs> it's, it, you get nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed white business bro being so sure that he was going to shatter that window by throwing the chair at it and it just bounced back at him. Was he, wait, <laughs> is that the one who was uh, the roommate in Broad City? Arturo Castro Soren. Yes, yes, name. he was, yes, he was in Broad City. Okay. Yep. He is Jaime Castro in Broad City. Um, yes. A lot of Castros. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it is absolutely without question Richard, the older man, because um, Ooh, we yep. find out some shit oh, about yeah. that dude as the movie goes on. Because, like, it's, it's obvious from the beginning right? that, like, he and Margot know each other and they don't want anybody else to know that they know each other. And Margot does not want to be anywhere near him. And it turns out, we find out through her conversation with the chef later on, that uh, she found her escort time with him especially troubling because apparently she looks like his daughter, which is why he hired her to then watch him masturbate and tell him that he was a good dad. That scene, I was like, oh, no, just murder this Wait, man now. Wasn't it like Silly who was like, that's fucked up. And she's like, eh, nothing. I see that. You know, that's pretty normal. They don't tell me I'm a good dad while I masturbate like that. That's on the standard menu. Well, the the watching the watching him masturbate and saying nice things to him was the part that she said that's pretty standard. And she was bothered by the fact that specifically he was asking her to tell him that he was a good dad and had okay, hired her yeah. because she looks like his daughter. Yeah, that's like seven different levels of fucked up. Because the mom, Judith Light's character, says, oh, she looks a lot like our daughter at one point. And you're like, at that point, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Judith's Light character has a great moment at the end when Anya Taylor-Joy, like, is on her way out. And she, like, turns around, like, looking like not sure if she should try to, like, rescue anyone else. And Judith Light just tells her, like, no, just go. Just save yourself. Everyone else here deserves to die. You you go. I'm very fascinated by how this movie uses cooking both literally and metaphorically. Like, I think it uses cooking in a metaphorical sense to discuss, like, creativity or, you know, participation in capitalism. And then there's the specific aspects of the cooking industry of the restaurant industry that it also addresses. Like there's a real element. You know, I feel like it's relatable to anyone who in a creative industry, you know, slow, it's um, dying love of his passion. 
and all the things that we know do kill creative passion, like, you know, the people who control the purse strings that won't let you create the way you want, an audience that doesn't understand what you're trying to achieve, the compromises you make for yourself to get where you want to be, like, it's all very relatable. And then there's the aspects that are very specific, I think, to cooking, like, I don't have to deal with people demanding bread in comics. <laughs> yeah. Which is amazing. The... To that at all, Andy? The... Yeah. Restaurant side of things and, and... how oh, that oh, God, felt yeah. going down for you. So, I mean, all right. So I've worked in a variety of restaurants, everything from like your standard sort of divey sports bar to like, fine dining like the Hawthorne level fine dining and it's never the work necessarily that breaks people and drives them out of the business it is always the people and whether that be incompetent managers or the guests those are the two main causes of burnout in the industry and lately especially especially after COVID it's been a lot of the guests because apparently being locked up in their homes for a year makes them think that they've got permission to be just absolute shitbirds, which which blows my mind. Who really it's, forgot it, how to be fucking human? It's almost like, like people forgot that being a restaurant, that's a service. It's not required. Like, it, it, it's, it's not a right. It's a privilege. So the fuck do you think you're doing coming in and demanding all sorts of... Like, there's nothing wrong Wait, with substitution. There's... there's nothing wrong with, you know, not wanting something on your dish. But coming in and just demanding something wholly off the menu because you happened to show up that night, go fuck yourself. Well, now hold, now, hold on. I thought that was, like, in the Constitution that any, like, land-owning white person can demand, like, a BLT from someone not getting paid enough. And they have to get that BLT. Like, is, is that not, not like the Fourth Amendment? <laughs> is, I nope. thought that was one of like the weird ones that no one remembers. Yeah, no. If it was an amendment, it would be like the Twenty Seventh Amendment, just past the repealing the prohibition, because God knows we'd need alcohol to deal with that amendment. But I mean, okay. So of all the restaurants or the tiers of restaurants, like from the sports bar. To the Michelin star. What class of clientele is the worst okay. in, your, in your experience? Not a universal, but in your experience. See, that's like asking a parent which child they favor the most. It's impossible <laughs> to answer. Mostly because, all right, I am going to say that the current clientele I am dealing with is probably the best clientele I've ever had. Just because they know where we are. They know what our prices are. They're expecting a certain level of something and they're willing to pay the price for it. However, yeah, no, literally every other guest, <laughs> like there is no, there's really no, you know what? No, there is one specific clientele's people that are just the absolute worst. I don't understand why they exist and they keep going out. They are the amateur hour crowd. They are the people who insist on going out on your major holidays, on weekends, on like very high volume nights. And then they, for some reason, can't understand why there's a wait for a table. It's like, 
you, you realize that everybody else has had the exact same idea that you did <laughs> and none of y'all are going to tip. So we have no incentive to skew anything in your favor. So, so pretty much if someone was like, hey, I want to invest in you the money and resources to kill a restaurant full of 12 customers you hate, the biggest problem would be narrowing it down. Yes, but it would be really easy because I'd make sure that the, the day that I killed everybody would be on St. Patrick's Day. Because <laughs> that uh, is like the biggest amateur hour of them all. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad you never had to work in New York during SantaCon. Oh no, that but I participated like... in I participated in Atlanta SantaCon. And uh, Oh, you might be a monster. Uh once upon a time I was. And then I outgrew it. Yes. <laughs> I like the baby in that skit from I think you should leave. We all can we can all change. Yes. Because he used to be a piece <laughs> of shit. If you, I'm not actually calling Andy a piece of shit. That's a reference to the I think you should leave skit, which if you haven't but seen, I go watch a- it. It's a great show. But I am a piece of shit, so it's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, just sleek bag hair and sloppy steaks all over the place. <laughs> yep. Oh, no. man. I'm a sloppy steak. How <laughs> great was Nicholas Hall just lapping up, like, just olive oil with the tiny wooden spoon? <laughs> like, the breadless so, like, bread plate. The, the bread, not bread plate? Yeah. There's stuff early in the movie where I'm, like, I'm a little bit on his side, where she's, like, Oh, I'm gonna send it back, and he's like, "You're embarrassing me." Like, I I paid for this. Like, just chill. And I'm like, oh, "Okay, he's right." And then immediately he's, he calls her a child, and I was like, "All right, back off your team." Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they do play it well in the beginning, where like it really does seem like, "Oh, they're a new couple," and then it's just like, "Oh, he just bought and fucking completely innocent escort that he deemed completely expendable." For his quest of death by great food. Yeah. Which it's really funny. If you ask any actual restaurant worker or chef, they don't want to die having a great meal. No. We, and I, I've talked to enough people. I think there's a general consensus. Anytime that we get the impression that we are about to die, we're all just going to go buy a shitload of heroin and go out in a blaze of glory. So, yeah, as fun as these theatrics would be, we're not wasting our time getting revenge. No, we're going out partying. That's also my plan if I make it to like 85. Like if I make it to 85, I'm just going to start getting into like the really hardcore drugs. Mm. Who's going to stop? What's the harm at that point? I'm going to be like, no, that 88 year old person is ruining their life. <laughs> they, they'll never be able to do all the things with their... I don't know, four months of life left? Oh, man. Fucking, like, I, and I don't know. I really, like, I find the cheeseburger versus fine dining thing, like, really interesting. Like, I, not a universal thing, but the way it's presented for how slow, like, presents it, I think is so interesting because it really feels like a writer up their own ass who can't talk about, like, the themes and the issues it's going to explore and how important the work is. And then someone just being like, hey, make a thing that's enjoyable. Make food that's tasty. And here, here's what I find really funny about the fact that she does ask for a burger at the end of this. Because in fine dining restaurants, these burgers have become a bit of a fad thing. 
Like there was a solid five years where <laughs> every fucking fine dining restaurant in Atlanta had a smash burger or a smash patty or it was just another version of two shittily fucking fried burger patties with onions and American cheese. And it, it, it was supposed to be like this, oh my God, it's so gourmet and it's so juicy and delicate. Like, the last place I worked had a fucking smash, a, a double smash burger. And I had to instruct the servers, stop asking people what they want their temperature to be. You're not going to get a temperature with this burger. It's just going to be two fully cooked patties with cheese and some weird mystery sauce. And heads up, everywhere. The mystery sauce is mayonnaise, ketchup, and relish all mixed together. That's it. That yeah, is that all checks it is. Out. I didn't know about the relish, but I did figure it was mayo and ketchup mixed together. Yeah, no, also check in some fucking relish in there and bam, you got your Big Mac sauce. Are you telling me that the that the cinematic classic Nickelodeon's Good Burger lied to me? <laughs> Actually, Good Burger may have been the most honest of the burger movies. Because definitely we're injecting massive amounts of hormones into our burgers. But if you haven't seen Good Burger in a while, that that's my recommendation. If you like the menu, go watch Good Burger. <laughs> Nickelodeon made a fucking a straight up stoner movie and then gave it to children. <laughs> fucking like incredible. You know, it holds it, up. That, it's still very funny. That reminds me of my immediate reaction, which I, I sent you on Twitter after watching this movie. Is I was like, it's a reverse ratatouille. Like, she, <laughs> to which my immediate reaction was, wait, who rode on and controlled a rat? <laughs> Did Tyler do that? Did Does Tyler it... have rat powers? And then you make a good point. How, yes, uh, you explain how it is a reverse ratatouille. Because once you explain, I'm like, that is a very good analysis. Yeah, because the, the conclusion in ratatouille, how they get a good review from the food critic is they cook something that he loved as a child and remind him why he liked food and why he got into this in the first place. And that's how Taylor Joy gets out of it. Uh, she sees the picture of him smiling, being the employee of the month at the burger place and um, asks her to make him a good cheeseburger or make her a good cheeseburger, pays him 10 bucks for it and uh, enjoys it and thanks him, which is like all he fucking wants. He just wants to make food that people like, enjoy, and thank him for and are, like, happy about at the end of the day, which, like, is the thing that has been ruined for him is, like, you know, these he's making stuff for these people who just want to just want to pay to complain to, like, you know, just like these business bros are all sort of, like, talking about how, oh, they've been to this better place. They've got this different version of this thing. And he's, like, he just wants to, like, make people food that they love. I said to Alicia at one point after watching this, because, you know, she's she's in grad school now, but she was a teacher for a long time. And any time that she talked about, like, wanting to make more money and the fact that teachers need to make more money and raises, people would always be like, oh, you should be an administrator. And she's like, no, I don't want to be a principal. Nobody that teaches wants to be a principal. That's a different job. Like, that's a whole different type of job. I was like, that feels like what this guy is stuck in is like he got really good at cooking. And so they put him in a position where like he doesn't get to cook and he doesn't get to enjoy like making food anymore. Well, what to me made the movie work. And I, I think without this, there would have been a level of 
hypocrisy and self-justification that I think would have ruined Slowik as a villain is that total willingness to kill himself as part of the plan because it means him owning up to his own level of culpability. Like, nobody put a gun to his head and made him open a restaurant that charges $1,250 per person. Like, he points out, like, oh, my food has reached the point where the only people who can afford it now are those who can't appreciate it. No one made you fucking charge those prices. The fact that he embraces his own culpability, it, it just makes his philosophy very consistent to me and kind of saves the movie, I think. And that is why I'd like to object to your calling him a villain, because clearly he's a hero, obviously. Yeah, I, I mean, like... he's an anti-villain, anti-hero. <laughs> He, yeah. The people certainly deserve to die by his own very clear moral standard. Yeah, that he has like sort of admittedly ruined his own life. That he has become a monster. That he's become the sort of person that harasses his you know sous chef, who's just like trying to make food and trying to get by in the industry. And like he recognizes his own monster quality at that point. You know that he that he is also to blame in all of this and that he deserves to first be stabbed and then eventually be, you know, burned alive with everybody else. I do think if, you know, instead of people having to like, I don't know, go through whatever it is that people supposedly have to go through when they're canceled, if, you know, they just gave the people in question a chance to stab them, I think things would probably blow over faster. I think, I think people would be more willing Matt to forgive. Lauer, I'm not saying you'd get the morning show back. But it couldn't hurt to try. I mean, you know, beyond the the stabbing hurt. I mean, I think Mark Wahlberg and Matt Lauer would probably wind up like Caesar. That's a lot of stabbing. It's a lot of stabbing. A lot of stabbing. I mean, to me, where it about it is kind of in its own way about a creator meeting a young muse and then being knocked out of his creative funk is just like you know that reminder of a purpose and a joy. Because like these preambles he gives all of these courses, it's like, oh, I want you to eat the, I want you to consume an entire ecosystem and feel the ocean. These are the tacos of guilt. This meal of like vegetable cubes and a bone represents like creative, fa- like dreams, failure dreams. And then like by the end, it's like this is a burger. It's meant to be tasty and fill your belly. No, like she's right. Like he's not. Like, all of these big messages and, you know, they talk about the meaning of the menu. I like that when she calls him out on his shit, like, she's kind of right. It's like, if you want to love cooking, then cook shit you love instead of all of this crazy fucking, like, thought piece shit. Tweezered to death nonsense. I mean, this is the stuff that Anthony Bourdain had been railing against for years before his death. Kind of refreshing to see it in a movie form. So I did have a question for you, Andy, because I feel like with everything going on, you would have a better sense with how your knowledge, what the food critic is saying. Is she entirely just like full of shit, just looking for things to just like nitpick? Or does she have some legit points when she's like critiquing some of this stuff? No, she's 100% up around ass. Okay. Like in any industry, be it food, art, what have you. Critics are the lowest form of occupation. It's very much the same thing as, you know, if you can't do teach, which I don't believe that because I've met teachers. 
a lot of teachers are decent people that are trying to actually educate people. But then there are critics. Critics are the true if you can't do critique. But the problem is, is because they can't do, they don't know what they're supposed to be critiquing. And so they just, they just wind up. It's just Yelp. It's just Yelp. And Yelp is the worst, worst, worst resource on the planet. So it's, yeah, no, I have very little respect for food critics. I have a lot of respect for food writers because although they start off as food critics, food writers will take the time to learn and investigate and try to understand what they're talking about. Food critics generally don't. So, yeah, no, the critic definitely deserved to die in this. I mean, without without question. Even when she laughed off that the tortillas were of restaurants who's like closed down after her reviews. Exactly. Yeah. The fact that she was so callous about like ending people's livelihood. Fuck her. I'm disappointed that none of the business brochures shoved a tortilla in their mouth thinking that that would mean the evidence was gone and they were okay. Like, like clearly it only exists on this one tortilla. Yeah. I love, yeah. I love that conversation between the business bros and Hong Chow where like the guy's like, what is this? So the thing, and he's like, that's a tortilla. And he's like, I, no, I get it's a tortilla. Like, what the fuck is this? Why does it have all these things in it? It's a tortilla. Tortilla delicioso. Yeah. Hong <laughs> Chow is a fucking gift. The moment that I fucking love is in the breadless bread plate when like they're being like fucking bring a secret bread it's okay we technically own the place and she just fucking whispers in arturo's ear what is it uh you will eat less than you desire but more than you deserve yes so fucking chilling oh my god ice cold fucking amazing yeah like the mask just falls and it's great yep it's oh, good stuff. There is all the relief of just how fucking hateable just all these people are. Like, um, you know, the couple that have apparently have been uh, 10 times in two years, which again, 1250 per person per meal. Yeah. And they so can't, much fucking money. And they can't name a single thing that they've eaten at this restaurant. It reminds me of just like the some of the people on channels on YouTube that focus very heavily on like superhero movies and TV shows. Not general. Look, I get that there's some people like that's their been their entryway and that's really, they're not too interested in comics. They're okay with movies and television and that's what they want to hear and talk about. No problem at all. All the power. However you get into a fandom is totally, totally legit. But like the people that like are really negative and try to like drag down as like hate on especially you know especially changes to make things a more diverse and that kind of thing and use how things were in the comics as their cudgel for why things can't be changed or just like to be almost like just these toxic campaigns and i almost want to shake some of these people and be like name me a fucking comic artist motherfucker <laughs> like show me a for all the the bullshit hate you're spewing, show me a comic you read that isn't fucking killing Joker Dark Knight Returns. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 
I, I know that feel. Yeah, and I think that's a the lot people of the complaining, point of this movie. You know, I'll say like the people complaining about comedy and fourth wall break in She-Hulk who have no fucking idea that a Dan Slott run even exists. Yeah, the, literally yeah, every run specific. of She-Hulk is, is fourth wall breaky and funny and weird. If you made a YouTube video that inv- had the word She-Hulk and woke in the title, I fucking hate you and don't want you listening to our show. I can't imagine someone that was listening to for like has gone this far into this podcast and has been like, fuck, I thought they were. <laughs> I thought I thought progressively horrified was a conservative show. Like they're in the name. I mean, you'd be yes, surprised. But- There's a Scottish comedian that I enjoy, Daniel Floss, excellent comedian. He's released a few specials on Netflix. He released one special solely on his website that I bought and streamed. And all of his material has always been very progressive. But in this, particular special there was a literal nazi in his audience that they had to kick out and it was it became like this whole like fucking bit he's like how did he not know that i what every time every time tom morello opens his mouth and somebody's like rage against the machine has gotten so woke i'm just like what the fuck is wrong with you oh i'm a big fan of uh, anytime we get star trek has gone woke Oh, God, right? I'm sorry, Gene Roddenberry's socialist pan-racial utopia is a literal on the progressive side. Mm. Yep. Yep, it's what... So, we talked about our least favorite characters on the menu, but can I point out my favorite character? Absolutely. Oh, my God, yes. On this, yes. The mom. The mom that just sits in the corner drinking wine. Like what a fucking what an incredible element of the movie that she doesn't she say doesn't, anything, doesn't say a fucking word. She clearly knows what's going on, and she just keeps waving over the sommelier and it, just like fill it up, fill it up. Yeah, we're all going to hell. Just fill it up. <laughs> My God, I hope to be that kind of a grandma. That scene where everybody else has gone outside for the man's folly bit. And she, like, mm. gets up from her table to walk over to the bucket and get another bottle of wine. <laughs> Goes right back to the table. I, my favorite perfection. bit in Man's Folly is when all the men run away except for Taylor. And they have to be like, no, you too. And he just kind of, like, saunters off. Yeah, yeah it's like, like, it's good foreshadowing that he knows what's going to happen. Like, But, like, God, yeah, like, he really does, like, for as fucked up as a little weirdo as he is, like, they portrayed in a surprisingly le- not toxic way, but I really think Tyler, to a degree, shows like the level of ownership that fervent fandom feels over a creative process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that in allyship that he thinks that he's the one guy who can just uh, stay with the women and hang out there. That like, I don't know, whatever it is he thinks he has or hasn't done, he doesn't think that uh, the oh. men being men having a folly and having to run away from the guys actually applies to him. He just thinks he gets to stay with the women and is jealous of them for, you know, getting an extra course. Oh, yeah. Even though he should have been fucking trying to hide really hard if because then you get the extra last person to be found, like Dessert Egg. Yep. Yeah, which, which I love gets... that, how they they find him and then, like, close up the chicken coop. Like, like this movie is funny. Like, yeah. darkly funny. But funny. No, I fucking love this movie. So I've had this movie playing while we're watching or while we're while we're talking. 
and we've just gotten to the part. It's about to be Tyler's bullshit. And I got to say, I kind of love the shot where Ralph Fiennes is scribbling Tyler's name onto the chef coat because it really highlights the difference in height between Tyler and the chef. It's such a reversal of stereotypes because normally somebody being bullied would be the taller person, right? But no, yes, this like, is I, now. I, I call Tyler a little weirdo a lot, mostly because that's the energy he brings. Is a very like <laughs> Nicholas Hout is still his normal six foot three in this movie. Yeah, and, and good old Mister Fiends is not by a long <laughs> no. shot. Nah, he's so intimidating at that stature. It's like, god damn, <laughs> he's chilling throughout this movie. I mean, we talked about you know, oh him, yeah, him being scarier than his his Nazi character in Schindler's List. But the way that they do the clapping, the like every the time clapping. He claps, oh my god! They play with it with the sound effects, where he goes whoosh when he claps. Like there's a sound before him clapping, but the like way that everybody turns when he does it is just—it's chilling, it's cultish, and I like—I know it's a thing, but it's—it's really—it's chilling in the movie. So I about that clapping because I love that clapping mostly because. So I do wine tastings at the restaurant that I work at for private groups. And sometimes they're not paying attention to their schedule. They they know they've got a lot, an allotted amount of time, but they're too busy bullshitting. So they're not paying attention to me. So I've actually adopted the clap and holy shit, it works. Because there's just something very, like you just snap to attention anytime you hear a... It goes all the way back to kindergarten. And it just... And it just stopped. Like everything stopped. And it's just like, oh, I didn't mean to command. I mean, I did mean to command all your attention. I didn't expect it to be that jarring, but you know what? I'm going to take it. And it's wonderful. That is now. It's a power one move. Of my, it is such a power move. And I'm never going to stop doing it now. So, oh, yeah. Sorry, the, all future wine tasting groups. If you're going to be rude, I'm going to, I'm going to be clapping. Speaking of power moves. How would you feel if you started a new job at a restaurant, you're new to a kitchen, and the executive chef made you yell, yes, chef, in perfect unison with the rest of the kitchen staff, and he would say, I love you, and you would all have to say back, in, still in unison, we love you too. I mean, I would definitely do it in the moment, but I would never return to that job. Oh, no, like, you there, have to do it in the moment, because if you don't, they are going to kill you. I mean, that level of cold yeah. energy. You got to yeah, play along like, until you're safe. 100%. Like there, there's certain levels of cult energy that I'm willing to work with. And, uh, you know, that that crosses the line a bit. But, you know, I'll play the game until I can get out of there safely. So that's a very sim- that's a very similar line you have to find when you're working at tech startups in Silicon Valley is <laughs> is how cultish you can handle before you just got to bounce the fuck out of there. Yeah. And what's funny is I work for a place now that is quasi culty but it's still less culty than that so it's wild yeah the the whole like living on the island and everything and that is is really creepy i I think my favorite characters in this it's it's i find ray fine's performance really charismatic and and interesting but like uh, for me it's between elsa the hong chow character and actually margo like anya taylor joy's character because the scene where he's 
grilling Nicholas Holt about like that he knew the whole time and he admits that like he invited her there knowing that she was going to die. She goes over that table to hit him like Oh, she is ready to just fucking end him right then and there. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah she hand, has, I mean again, Nicholas Holt is not a small guy and Andrew Taylor Joy is pretty small except for her eyes which are giant but she like comes across that table like she's going to absolutely destroy this guy it's not her fault she's a quarter anime girl (laughs) i think my favorite character is the fake coast guard oh just everything like how he's yeah from like when he's fanning out about john like wazamo when he's like turns around and when he does like the spin around with the gun and then, like just everyone's really and then he just and then he just starts singing the happy birthday like they were the lighter like he's got one scene but he fucking does magic with it he owns it yeah yeah oh yeah but then hong chow in, in her scenes is very like they they play her as intense but she is also like very funny in a very like controlled scary way you know, the, the again, the the number of times she says it's a tortilla to those dudes is hilarious to me. And the, you know, the whole action scene where she's trying to, to stab Anya Taylor-Joy and they're blinging things. Yeah. At each other. It's great. Oh, and we and we get the great, what is it, Chekhov's Apaco gun? Apaco <laughs> cannon? Yeah. The Froster thing. I, I don't say this very often, but I was... Just going into this movie fresh, only having seen the trailers, I was pleasantly surprised by the lack of cannibalism. Right? That was a that was the thing going in that I was like, there's definitely going to be an element of cannibalism. And then like once you see the island as like there's gonna be a whole most dangerous game thing going on here at some point. Oh, right. Like absolutely. They can't leave. And I guess they do uh, you know, short play on that with them running away, but like not really. Almost like a, it's almost like a, a play act take on it of like what you do. Like, but again, what they do instead is so much more unique and interesting. I think. And this is I, I got written by two if, like guys that their main writing credits are the Onion. Like you know they write for the Onion. They write for the Onion. That's wrote for the Onion News Network when that was on. You know they they've done a lot of like comedy oh, stuff. One of them was written for Seth Meyers. They did a lot of college humor stuff. So like yeah, Seth. I mean Seth Reese and Will Tracy like. That makes sense. Right on. It's so I good. love that. Like that, I love that so that much. That makes sense. This again, this movie is funny. This it's movie has a interesting, very deft sense of humor. It's such an interesting combination of them and then like Mark Mylod directing. Because like Mark Mylod has done like hundreds of TV episodes and he's done a lot of like, you know, less well known, less successful stuff. And then of course Minority Report and like or the Minority Report TV yeah, series, yeah, yeah. like Game of Thrones, Shameless. Oh, the TV um, series. <laughs> Succession, he's, you know, directed several of episodes from these things. Like, he directed the Allergy in the House movie. Oh, so, like, God. he got a lot of stuff under his belt. And it's just, like, this is a combination of people that I, I would not have ever thought of for a, a film like this. And it just comes together so well. Would you almost say the uh, the ingredients come together? Yeah, make it all together. The, Prepare the something play in the menu. Of yeah, you grill yeah. up a pair of writers, uh, melted director on top, serve it with some crinkle cast, and uh, you got yourself a movie. 
<laughs> that was fucking tortured. Full disclosure, I've been watching this at the same point that Alicia and I are making our way through the bear, which is a very yeah. different thing about working in a restaurant. Which oh, I very described, different. I described watching the bear as having somebody else's heart attack. The, the bear I, is to like give normies just a taste of what working in a restaurant is like. And I think the menu is meant to be the catharsis for restaurant workers everywhere. Andy, is that accurate? Very, because I cannot get through 15 minutes of the first episode of The Bear because it's very much a, oh, God, this is PTSD in the worst way. So I think the first I, episode is the worst for that. Like, as we get further into it, it's, it's, it feels less like I'm going to have a heart attack while I'm watching the show. Like uh, the show Barry, when I talked to combination hitmen assassin, like assassin actors. Talk to us as I tell them they can't watch Barry. They say it's too real. They've all they've all got their own no no Hank in real life. Yeah, no, it, it's very much like I would love to be able to watch the bear. I just can't because it puts me in this terrible headspace, and I just I go dark. I go real dark, and I'm I'm a dark enough human being already. Meanwhile, the menu it's like it makes me giggle just because yeah, it that that checks out. It's the same amount of trauma. However, there's some retribution. Whereas in the bear, there is no hint of retribution that I can tell. Though, again, I've only seen the first 15 minutes of the first episode and I could not. The bear is the bear is like when the monster or the killers are chasing you. And then the menu is the act three violence catharsis switch when you get to start doing violence against the original attackers. Right, right. I mean, some light spoilers for the bear. One supporting character subplot is he gets so obsessed with making the perfect donut that it nearly destroys his life. Yeah, I... So that sounds like four people I used to work with. I'm a couple episodes from the end of the bear right now. And I think maybe the episode that I I both liked and bothered me the most was uh, an episode where the... uh, the main character's cousin leaves his Xanax out on the table at the kid's birthday party and it ends up in the juice. And oh, yes. The main character is looking around and discovers that all the kids have passed out on the lawn. My favorite part about that is, and from what I understand from Chicago, people is very accurate, the conversation about not bringing ketchup for hot dogs, which yeah. makes sense. You're a fucking adult. Put mustard and or relish on that. Mustard for me, but, you know, to each their own. I'm a monster that puts ketchup, mustard, and hot sauce on my hot dogs. Well, that's fine. In that's a combination so... of things. That's okay. Yeah, I'm in the south. So we put chili and slaw on hot dogs here. Yeah, oh, yeah chili dog. Good old chili cheese dog. North Carolina. Oh, North Kakalaki. I got you. All right. right. There's a Carolina uh, style dog. In... Yeah, you put that in there, and you get some uh, some mustard, maybe some relish on there as well. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. Uh, the bun isn't falling apart. It's not a real hot dog. I live Fair. in New York, so our hot dogs are now halal kebabs. <laughs> if you haven't yeah. been to New York since the 1990s, all of the hot dog like places got replaced with halal stands. I don't know what kind of fucking food stand turf war happened behind the scenes, but the halal guys won big time. But they still serve hot dogs. They're just not the right dirty water hot dog. Exactly. Get the yeah. get the chicken. It's bad. Get, it's tasty. But get the red and the white sauce. <laughs> Good stuff. Oh man! Good so, stuff. a fun little anecdote I have about the menu while I've got y'all captive is 
when I had my partner see it, I made us burgers beforehand and promised that I had a stuff for s'mores <laughs> for after. And then got to see her face as we got to the ending and she realized what I'd done. Oh, that must have been magical. Did you make her a hat made of, of chocolate? Kathleen just turned to me and was like, you motherfucker. You know, if Kathleen was capable of saying motherfucker, but she too cinnamon roll. That's that's perfect. Uh, I love it. Okay. The chocolate the hats. Okay. That might be my favorite thing is those melting crowns of chocolate at the end. Yes. Burning alive. How fucking hard. How hardcore was that imagery of like the dripping chocolate, like tears of chocolate so good. running down their faces. The flames run up the marshmallows like, holy shit. What an incredible death, like death scene that was the death by s'mores. Just, just fucking brilliant. Honestly, like I've se- okay at this point, I've now seen this movie seven times. I adore it so much, and I've been showing it to everybody who will give me five minutes of their time, or yes. you know, an hour. Spread the minutes. good word. Yeah. So every single time I've watched it, there's been two questions that people have asked me: What the fuck is the deal with the grandma in the corner? Which eventually gets answered, and then like, oh my god, how could you ever eat s'mores again? Like very easily. How could you not? Right? Like this yeah. is this is my bread and butter. <laughs> this, this is Do I have chocolate graham crackers and marshmallows so that I'm making s'mores? Yeah. yeah. It's like <laughs> Meanwhile, I do want to see if there's a way to salvage Tyler's bullshit because I feel like lamb chops and uh like an elite butter leek sauce and leek and shallot sauce like should be on the tasty side if you're not a complete fuck up. One hundred percent. Like there is a there is a good way to do that. Tyler's bullshit could be a good item. It's just that he was so pressured and such a shit cook that he undercooked the chops and he didn't bother sauteing anything enough. It like he just he didn't take the time nor pay the enough attention. So yeah, of course this stuff was bullshit. I do think it would have been really. Fu- I think it would would have been really funny is because the whole point of scene is how rushed and pressured he is is if he had managed to keep any kind of cool and picked a recipe that's like okay now it's gotta go in the oven for 40 minutes <laughs> what do we do right. while we wait yeah i think like as somebody who watched a lot of like great british bake-off before the pandemic and then was like all right i'm gonna cook a lot of desserts and stuff now i relate to the like oh i've seen this done so many times but i have no idea how to actually do it uh, side of yep. things i'd like to think yeah. that if he had managed to make something decent it would have been like okay you get to stand in the corner when we do like while everyone dies yep <laughs> like you you get a c plus you don't get to be in the kitchen but you get something you can serve mints outside the bathroom right he could be the bus boy if he hadn't fucked it up which again after I mean, it's so good that they do it right after the reveal that he knew they were all going to die. Because when you're at the maximum hating him, you just get like, God, that's one. It's one of the finest on-screen humiliations I've ever seen. And it it kind of it it kind of makes me wonder, like, how many of these other guests got that same email? Like, oh, hey, just a heads up, you're going to die, and they just ignored it. Said like, to spam. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like it was all like Tyler individually. Like, it seemed like my guess is that Tyler was just sending lots of emails and like fan emails to where Ralph was just like, 
how hard, how far can this go? He's like, I'm just going to tell him. Like, I bet mm-hmm. I could straight up tell this guy I want to murder him and he'll still fucking show up. And he did. And he did. Like, like he had such special contempt for Tyler that was so well-deserved. Like, God, just like... We haven't even talked about the fact that they say specifically the chef, like, one of the few rules is he does not want them to take pictures of the food. He wants the food to be ephemeral. It's there, and then it's not, and it's about the experience. And the first thing Tyler does is just start taking pictures of the food. You know, he doesn't ask. He doesn't anything. He just assumes... It's because it's him, you know, and he's a fan that, that the rules don't apply to him. And I think that goes back to your your fandom point with Tyler. Being... It's it's very satisfying seeing him just die inside. Yeah. Yeah, that you don't even hear what sad. the chef says to him. But like, you, you know, don't need you to. know what the end result of you that know. is before they actually show it. But like, even before the whisper and he goes to like hang himself, it's just like. Just on this, this what this grand stage that like that all these years he spent being like, ooh, make believe chef. I'm a fan. Like, ooh, I would totally be great at it and successful. Like, you know, if I want, if I really wanted to, if I really tried, knowing that like they, you know, the idea of being it is always more appealing than being it. Yeah. And just having that fantasy that he's been clearly sustaining himself with just be so shattered is just so satisfying to watch because he's uh nicholas out really just becoming again like i said just one of hollywood's great actors who can play a great fucking weirdo mm-hmm. like if you put him and jake gyllenhaal together that movie would be too weird you wouldn't be allowed to release it now it, there'd be so much you'd probably wind up accidentally calling Cthulhu into the plane of existence and nobody needs that. It's so funny even going have back to and... like you wouldn't have to hire him. David Cronenberg would just show up to direct that movie. Yep. It's so funny watching late 2000s, early 2010s Jake Gyllenhaal films when they were really trying to make him just like a generic Hollywood handsome white guy leading man and there's just like the soul of the most like fucking fidget of like just the weirdest motherfucker just fighting to get out and then nightcrawler happens and he's like this is all i'm fucking doing from now on just fucking weirdos forever (laughs) or as i like to call it the uh daniel radcliffe elijah wood route they didn't make your franchise especially now oh my god make your franchise money mad early and then just fucking go crazy like and then just fucking do the most out there shit like hey elijah wood you did lord of the rings what's next i'm gonna do a sitcom where i hallucinate about an australian dog who's mean to me or i'm going to do a zombie movie with kids call it cooties done also yeah watch wilfred you haven't seen wilfred watch wilfred one thing about dark wilfred's oh my god right right y'all need to watch cooties oh my god Just, just watch cooties like if it's Elijah Wood and it's post Lord of the Rings, you're gonna have a fun time, and it's gonna be like nothing else. Yeah, yep. I mean, we haven't even talked about Daniel Radcliffe doing Swiss Army Man, the Daniel's first movie, before they calmed down to do everywhere and everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> yeah, and that was after Daniel Radcliffe immediately followed up Harry Potter with "I'm going to appear naked with a horse in a play." 
Look, a crisp is a piece of art. Deal with it. I didn't say it wasn't. Well, I guess we should ask now, do we think the menu is feminist? Oh, that's a great question. Um, hmm. I don't feel like it's very... It's I mean, not oof. anti-feminist. Definitely not anti-feminist. You do have that interesting element of Slowick admits to sexually harassing one of his employees who is then allowed to stab him. Right. And which then, is a wrinkle. Like, well, they do also allow the women to all like sit and gather together and hmm. I think the most important thing is that it's it's shown from this perspective of a woman who is a sex worker. Who is yes. not like shamed for being a sex worker in this movie? Like the chef talks to her on a like person to person. We're both people that are in a service industry job, you know. Yeah. Do you yeah, like what, what you used movie... to do? Well, I, I I used to like what I do. I don't like it anymore. They're they're both that's sort of what at the, the same movie point. Does very well is be explicitly pro sex worker. Its main character is a sex worker who is presented as intelligent, a human. empathetic, clever a human, inherently moral person. This sex worker is explicitly presented as the only character in the movie deserving of life. Yeah. Like, that is the explicit message of the movie. So, you know what? I think that, you know, grounding the narrative around and giving utmost humanity to, you know, a profession that is so often so completely demonized in media and news. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, know, I, I think you definitely got to give it it's feminist it is yeah in a in a in a very dark way it is very feminist yeah so to be fair i would also let a room of people burn to let myself survive slash get ahead so depends on what your definition of feminist is so yeah but no i i definitely agree with you it's not anti-feminist it's not anti-women yeah no it's very Um, it's very pro-women in fact I mean, yes. the fact that they allowed the, the sous chef who was harassed to even speak her truth was a big deal. Yeah. So Now, I how this movie does on race, I mean, there is one moment that we didn't mention that is really funny is slowly quoting Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> and then the business bros, most of whom are people of color, just being like, yeah, what the fuck? Did he just quote him? Okay. Was so fucking funny. Yeah. Yeah. I think the casting for the most part feels a little colorblind. Like it, it doesn't really matter which one of the business bros is black and which one is Asian. They don't really have anything. There's not really anything to do with that. Yeah. John like Wazamo and his assistant, you know, conversationally speak Spanish to one another uh, at a few points during the movie. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I do think there's a real, yeah, kind of race blind. It's it's much uh, more interested in class than than race. Yes. Well, oh my god. Class. To be fair, to be fair, and I hate to say this, but nine times out of ten, when a, a specific class is sitting in a restaurant, they are all very exceptionally Caucasian. It, it, it's very rare that there is people of color in restaurants like these, which it it's not right. It's 120% unfortunate, but that's just, that's just the really upsetting reality of things. Like this is probably the most diverse dining room that a Michelin restaurant has seen in quite a while, quite a while. And it's a pretend restaurant in a movie. So 
that's that it's just the unfortunate way it is i mean it is interesting to me the way this movie explores um fine dining as like an exclusionary thing because you know you look at something like tv or like movies whether it's you know um fucking like the woman king or boss baby you go to the theater it's gonna cost the same Mm-hmm. Like whether you're making the most highbrow, high quality film, it costs the exact same amount as, you know, just a Moonfall? cheap out, gross out, you know, kids comedy or something. You know, you don't get that in other mediums, that sense of like, oh, well, as it gets better, it gets more expensive and right. therefore less people deserve it. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. do think. You know, there is something to be said for the fact that this movie doesn't have to have any people of color in it. It could it could be straight up white people. And they, you know, they do make the effort to cast people of color in the movie. And yeah, the, yeah. the, the class stuff is, is really interesting. And it's sort of writ large on the movie that the movie is largely about class and how class destroys art, how rich people exclude poor people from art and in doing so also destroy it. Yeah, the I artists. mean, it's. I'm glad it had the bit about the angel investor literally being drowned yeah. because it. this has been kind of a time when there is a lot of turmoil in the entertainment industry, deals being reneged, uh, you know, shows being canceled mid-production, content being just ripped from streaming services, things being turned into tax write-offs, like layoffs across the board, like every streaming service. Like that element was, you know, I'm glad they explored the corroding frustration that comes from an artist not having financial control, like having to be at the mercy of someone who does not share your creativity or passion, but just has the fucking money that this world has decided you need to do your creativity. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. It's great. I mean, I guess there's one other question here. This movie's surprisingly not very gay. There's nothing, nothing really gay going on here. No, not a particularly queer movie. Yeah. Never uh, really addressed. Not couples. not overly. No. Uh, I mean, the stew chef was definitely hitting on all the ladies just before she told them that they were all going to die. But, you know, beyond that, that was probably the queerest thing in the movie. Yeah, she definitely reads at least a little gay in, in her I, sort of limited screen time. Yeah. I got some vibes from the magazine editor. Did you? He's the fucking worst. He he just seemed like a very lowbrow Stanley Tucci to me. He struck <laughs> me as like a, a Tucci wannabe. A one chi, if you will. Yes, exactly. Sorry, Paul Adelstein. I'm sure you're fine. He strikes me as a man with a very exclusionary grinder account. The grinder account <laughs> that he only checks on weekends. Yeah. Like and then get ma- gets mad at anybody who messages him. Yeah, yeah. You know, he struck me as the guy who has like no femmes, no f- no overweight people on Grinder. Like that kind of ex- in certain neighborhoods, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Not because he's closeted, but just because he's just, or even a not dick. even self-loathing, just other loathing. Yeah, yeah. That's my vibe on him. If I'm. If I have to grasp at straws, which I very much am doing. <laughs> uh, oh, now I know where I've seen that actor before. It was Leo Bergen in Scandal. It's like the 
shitty CIA dude. The okay. Shondaverse. He's part of the Shondaverse. Do the Shonda shows take place? Like, I would like to imagine that Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder takes place in the same universe, and then Bridgerton is like the prequel that takes place a hundred without a doubt way in the past. Without a doubt, for sure. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything that contradicts this, so I'm going to say there it's like not. how Tarantino has his own universe. So does Shonda Rhimes. Yeah, I mean, if if you know somebody doesn't get away with murder, they do get sent to the uh, you know hospital from Grey's Anatomy. Okay, so I don't even think there's a point in asking this at this point, but we always do. Uh, would we recommend this movie? Yes, fuck it, hundred twenty percent. This movie is easily in my top three best movies of last year, alongside Nope and Everything Everywhere All at Once. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm just gonna say it. There, there's very few movies that I've watched more than twice, and the fact that I've now watched this one seven times, yeah, I recommend. I highly recommend. I and I do know one of the other ones is Spirited, starring Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. Yeah. Yep. That is a fun one, and you know I don't like Christmas movies, but I liked Spirited. And you know I don't like horror movies, but I love this one. So yeah. Yes. So, so that's yes. my recommendation. Watch Spirited. It has nothing to do with this movie. But it's also just as good as watching the menu on look like as long as you're looking for Christmas cheer and like a big old jelly something of the butt. So Ryan Reynolds is shockingly good at dance choreography. And singing. Like yeah. shock me. Who the fuck told him he could sing? It's I assume fantastic. Ryan Reynolds is just good at everything. He just has an ironic detachment that makes you think he isn't. Somewhere there is a theater kid inside Ryan Reynolds who is just faking it and he's already made it. Yeah. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to recommend to go along with the menu? Uh, uh, yes. Burgers. Yeah, s'mores. No, I would recommend Whiplash if you want to see another movie about self-destruction and creativity. Also, okay. J.K. Simmons yells at Miles Teller and that's a lot of fun. That is a fantastic movie. I, I do enjoy it a lot. If you're looking for something that's more food related, but more like happy tone, somebody sees Phil on Netflix. Phil is the guy who fucking wrote Seinfeld, and I hate Seinfeld. I'm I'm, I'm just gonna throw that right that right out there. Don't like Seinfeld. I find it campy and ridiculous. But somebody sees Phil actually makes a really authentic pleasant food show where he he genuinely enjoys everything that he goes to taste so he gets at least one kudos in my book so there's that awesome yeah i i have two things i want to recommend one of which has absolutely nothing to do with this and one of which i already mentioned which is uh the bear is really good if you can stand it it's the restaurant equivalent of uh the adam sandler movie with the jewelry and the gems. I have no idea what you're talking about. Hold on. Do I get sick? No, I can't. I can't believe I can't remember it all of a sudden. It's, it was a very, like, it was everybody's movie that they were recommending for a minute there. Uncut Gems. That's the name of it. It's very, it like. It was Uncut Gems. Okay. Yeah. The same level of stress of, of Uncut Gems. Just running a restaurant. <laughs> the Un God. Fucking Uncut Gems is easily one of the most stressful movies i've ever seen because like uncut gems is a movie about a guy who has dug himself into a hole and the whole movie people just keep handing him ladders and instead he just keeps digging deeper 
Yeah, see, I haven't watched it. I'm sure he's going to come out the other side. And and every two minutes, you're like, take the fucking ladder. Just climb up the fucking ladder. And he just keeps fucking digging instead. It's a great movie, but it is so stressful. No, thank you. Yeah, the other thing I want to recommend is a new show that just showed up on Peacock in the last couple weeks, and it is called Poker Face. And it is created by Ryan Johnson. It is it is a mystery show in the spirit of Columbo, but without cops. And it stars Natasha Leone in the lead role as this sort of like she's sort of a do-gooder. She's sort of on the run. Like she, you know, ends up doing detective stuff because she gets personally involved in these stories, you know, helping people out. And it's rather than a who done it, it's a sort of why done it. Or you know, uh, like, how how to catch him. Yeah. A how catch him. Like yeah. It's, I gotta say, uh, Natasha Leone as Peter Falk, gotta be one of my favorite genders. We're in, like, Gonasons, because between this and Russian Doll, she's just fucking knocking them out of the park. Like, there's, there's no actor that I could say, like, I love more right now than what she is doing. Very much, very much found a way to, like, be her real fucking weird self in, in movies. I love Natasha Leone's career because it's just an inevitable transformation of her becoming Jackie Mason. And it's beautiful to watch. It's beautiful. It's wonderful watching Natasha Leone become an elderly Jewish man. That's fair. I very much second that Poker Face recommendation. It is a wonderful show. Yeah. And I love me Johnson, Glass Onion and fucking Last Jedi and Knives Out are all amazing movies. Brick is still fucking weird. I'm going to have to sit down and watch that again at some point. His first movie. And that uh, that was a weird-ass movie. <laughs> but it's it's this, uh, just like Natasha Leon, it's a great trajectory where you can see how all these things lead to the next thing. So, yeah, check that out. On Peacock, there's like six or seven episodes of it out now. It's good stuff. I think that does it for us. That's a wrap. Andy, do you want to let anybody know where they can find you online? <laughs> you don't want that. Yeah, okay. So the website is currently down, but you can still find previous episodes of my podcast on anywhere you stream podcast. Just look up Wound Up Wino and you'll find my absolute nonsense. New episodes will be coming in the next month or two. Depends on how quickly I finish reading a whole bunch of stuff and blah, blah, bullshit. But beyond that, you can also follow my random random art adventures just by hitting up my Instagram at Andy Redonculus A-N-D-I-W-R-E-D-O-N-K-U-L-U-S and then you will see me put a whole bunch of nonsense of glittery bullshit up in the world so that's that's me that's that's what I do these days I drink wine I make glitter art I talk shit I am. Uh, well, we look forward to all that. And uh, as for the rest of us, you can find Emily, uh, who is not here today, but will you can find at Megamoth on Twitter and Mega underscore Moth on Instagram and at Megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at Ben the Con and on their website at BenConComics.com, where you can pick up all of their books, including pre-ordering L. Campbell Wins Their Weekend, their debut middle grade novel from Scholastic. And finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome58 and on my website at jeremywhitley.com. 
where you can check out everything I write, including pre-ordering The Dog Night, the new graphic novel I am doing with Bree Indigo is coming this may super excited about that you guys are gonna love it and of course the podcast is on patreon at progressively horrified on our website at progressively horrified.transistor.fm and on twitter at prog horror pod where we would love to hear from you and while you're talking to us we would love for you to go ahead and review the podcast five stars helps more listeners find us and uh we just get bigger and more exciting um thanks again to Andy for joining us. It was such a ball having you. This was a fun movie to talk about. No, thank you for letting me join y'all. And if anybody has any other restaurant questions that they'd like to ask, <laughs> hunt me down on the internet. I'll answer them. Yes. Yep. yes, thank you so, so much for joining us today, Andy. This was a blast having you on today. No, it was so much fun. Thank you guys so much. And uh, thanks as always to Ben for hosting with me. And thanks to all of you for listening. And until next time, stay horrified. <laughs>